still going through the book of Psalms. What an amazing book it's been. I'd encourage you, please, to turn to Psalm 149, and I may refer also to Psalm 150 that we read in the beginning of the service. Um, are like a couplet, they fit together. Psalm 149 is a song that looks forward to the end of time. The day when the Lord will finalize all of history in a great victory. He will bring everything together and he will triumph over everything. And so my friends, when we live in this life, there are times when we feel that we are losing. But this psalm helps us as believers to look at the bigger picture. And we know the book of Revelation, the last verse says that God is victorious with all of his people. So Psalm 149 talks about this. It is also called the fourth hallelujah psalm. And that's why it's such a wonderful conclusion to the book of Psalm. Because the psalmist starts off and he speaks about the paths that we need to choose to walk in the godly ways of God. Psalm 1. Then Psalm 150, which is coupled to Psalm 149, speaks about the hallelujahs, about the praises of God. Verse one of Psalm 150 says, praise the Lord. Verse six, the last verse of the book of Psalms says, praise the Lord. My friends, this is the resounding conclusion to every argument that's ever been presented for or against God. This is the resounding end for any doubt or belief that anyone has ever had before, that at the end of the day, it is praise the Lord. There will be no shadow of turning. The debates will cease because the God who created the heavens and the earth at the end of time as you and I know it before Time is no longer and we enter into eternity. The conclusion of all matters is praise the Lord. And there is a real sense where the psalmist pauses and he breathes. Great sign of relief. And he says, praise the Lord. Can we try the praise the Lord just one more time. Would you say it with me on the count of three? But let's say it as the psalmist means it here. Can we do that? One, two, and also you at home, please. One, two, three. Praise the Lord. The conclusion of all conclusions. The most beautiful thing is when you look at the whole book of Psalms, you find out 
that through all of those who wrote the Psalms, it wasn't only David, but all of those who wrote the Psalms, they have become vulnerable before us. They've told us about their broken lives. They've, uh, their sins have been exposed and brought out into the open. Their troubles and their unbeliefs and their difficulties and their separations have been made known in the book of Psalms. But then, at the end of the day, the conclusion of conclusions for the psalmists in plural is praise the Lord. It's not a bad phrase again for the Christian church to adopt during these times. I remember as a young boy growing up and within the religious circles I was in and, and I just loved church. I used to go from church to church during the week and on Sundays I went to one church in the morning and another church in the evening. I just wanted to get together and, and the prevailing phrase of the churches in that day was simply praise the Lord and there was a little bit of a religious ring to it that put me off. But I think it's a good term for us to reinvent and to say with a great sigh of relief, praise the Lord. The conclusion of all conclusions. There are 35 verses in the book of Psalm that state, praise the Lord. The last five Psalms begin and end with the phrase, Praise the Lord. I had a friend who was in college with me. Uh, his wife always used to answer the telephone. He played tennis, I played tennis, so whenever I went to make a telephone appointment with her and she would answer the phone, she would say, praise the Lord, Jesus is Lord. Hello, this is Maria. And and again, you know, I'm not a very religious person. You may, you've probably come to realize that I don't like religiosity. I like, I like authentic Christianity. And sometimes religiosity just puts me off. And uh, she always, she had this wonderful, wonderful excitement about her love for Jesus. And it was so authentic for her. You know, and so every time we said that, and so I'm reminded of her um, when I read the psalm here. But my friends, this morning, I would like us to look at Psalm 149, and I would like us to answer the question, have you ever had people come to you, and after the church service, they would say to you, did you enjoy the worship? Or did you enjoy the message? You know, these are kind of like phrases that we throw around. But I, would, you know, I think we're actually asking the wrong question, aren't we? The psalmist in Psalm 149 is trying to get us to ask a different question here. And the question that he is getting us to ask within Psalm 149 is as follows, but I'll tell you in just a minute or two because I would like us 
to read the psalm together. And you pick up maybe the question that he's trying to ask you. So verse one says, can anyone here tell me what verse one says? <laughs> Close. It says, praise the Lord. There we go. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of his faithful people. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the people of Zion be glad in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with timbrel and harp. For the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. Let his people rejoice in this honor and sing for joy on their beds. May the praise of God be in their mouths and a double-edged sword in their hands to inflict vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings with fetters, their nobles with shackles of iron, to carry out the sentence written against them. This is the glory of all his faithful people. Praise the Lord. And then I'm going to read Psalm 150 as well. Psalm 150 says, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath Praise the Lord. The psalmist is wanting us to answer the question after we have asked it. After we've been together or after we've been just in our homes, he wants us to answer the question, did God enjoy this worship? Ah. It's not, did we enjoy the worship? Did we enjoy the message? No, the question the psalmist is trying to get us to answer is this. Did God enjoy the worship? So I'm going to speak on worship that God enjoys. And Worship defined when we come together is what we're doing today. Worship more broadly defined is every breath that we take during the day, wherever we are, is worship. But as we speak about here, since all of us are together here this morning, I want to bring God worship that he enjoys and when I leave here as one of the leaders within the church, I'd like to ask myself the question as I lead you in some portions of our worship, I wanna, I wanna ask the question to God or to you or to me. Did God enjoy the worship today? 
It's not that important that you and I enjoy the worship because we come together first and foremost for him. And secondary, it is when you and I come together. That's the secondary truth. But the primary truth is that God enjoy our worship together. One of the verses within the psalm says that the Lord takes delight in his people. That is the test of true worship, whether God has enjoyed it. Whether we have or not, we meet to give God a sense of blessing. And the most beautiful thing is that's when he returns blessing on his people. So we gather together, as the psalmist says in another place, unto him and unto him will the gathering of the people be I have been in churches and also have led churches and the moment I would get into these churches to lead it I would change it because they would put down who's the preacher on this particular Sunday and one of the churches that I led when I came they would put the particular preacher on who's on on Sunday and people in the congregation would say, oh, he's preaching, we're not coming this Sunday because he's preaching or she's preaching, we're not coming on that particular Sunday. Isn't that so sad? Because people aren't gathering together unto him. Oh, he's leading worship or she's leading worship. I don't like it when he does, so I'm not gonna come. That gathering of the people our worship here at Lyft is primarily for his pleasure. And so Psalm 149 gives us instructions on worship that God enjoys. And let me just give you these instructions and then touch on a few of those. Worship that God enjoys is always Jesus-centered. Secondly, worship that God enjoys is authentic. It is real. It comes from your own experience of faith in God on the one hand and the experience and faith of other people on the other hand and we bring it together and that's an offering of worship to our God. Can you say I'm into that truth? Again, it's not just about you. It's not just about the other person. It's about us coming together, sharing our joys together, but also sharing our failures together. Authentic worship, and we present it unto him. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and in chapter 14 speaks so much about the church being a body that comes together, and together we encourage one another, but we worship together and team. Thirdly, worship that God enjoys is when his faithful people come together and sing together in his assembly. God loves it when his people come together. Last week I said, it is not a whole lot of fun worshiping God on Sundays by yourself. It is much better together. Much better together. There are just so many 
scriptures in the Bible, uh, hundreds that talks about worshiping together. My friends, whatever it takes, I'm gonna get here to worship together. Amen? And you've done that today, and so I know I'm speaking to the converted. Worship that God enjoys is when we praise him with our whole being. Worship that God enjoys is worship that is as real at home as it is in church. Worship that God enjoys is worship where we sing on the one hand to him and we war against the enemy on the other hand. Isn't that beautiful? It's just not all lovely, me, my, ooh, and I. It is about the enemy. The Bible says the enemy, the devil, he's walking around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And when you step out of fellowship with the church, my friends, you're a prime target. You need your brothers and sisters to stand beside you. To shoulder off the enemy when he comes to you. I need you to do that for me. I was pretty vulnerable when I came in. And one of my friends just came and we just had such a nice handshake. You know, and he's just a real rock to me when I see him. And I just felt, now I feel like Superman. Bring all of the kryptonite that you want felt strong. The church needs each other. So worship that God enjoys is firstly centered in Jesus. And again, you would see that within verse 1 of Psalm 149. We see here that the word Lord is written in capital letters as we have seen in almost every psalm that we've looked at over the last month and a half. It is a name that speaks of God's continued covenant relationship with his people and his faithfulness to them. It is the Hebrew word Yahweh. where we speak about covenant in the Old Testament, a direct parallel to that is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Covenant in the New Testament is expressed through the supreme sacrifice of Jesus, the Son of God that was born as Jesus in the manger. And as Jesus walked upon the earth for 33 years, Without committing any sin, he was sinless. And yet, the Roman government and people and the Jewish rulers sent him to the cross. And it was predestined, it was foreordained. Sovereign God had meant for Jesus to be taken and to be placed upon that cross and for him to die. And the Bible says when he went to the cross, He took every sin that you and I have committed, every act of violence that we've been involved in, every act of violence that was committed against us, 
he took upon himself. As a matter of fact, the Bible says he took our shame upon himself. He took our guilt upon himself. And that day when they nailed Jesus to the cross, it is as if every single one of us nailed Jesus to the cross because he took your sin and mine upon himself. And when they nailed him to the cross and he bore our sins, the Bible says that he became sin for us so that we would not be under sin any longer. Isn't that almost, that's awesome, isn't it? That's the God of this universe coming in the form of human man, being nailed to the cross, and he bore all of our sin. So he took our shame upon himself that, so that you and I can live free from the shame of our sins. Amen? He took our guilt upon himself when we hurt someone and we felt guilty, Jesus said, since I took your sin on the cross when I died that day, I also took your guilt because guilt is a terrible sin. It's a terrible result of sin because it destroys us from the inside out. God doesn't want any Christian to walk in guilt because he took it upon himself. You see, and when Jesus' blood was spilt that day, when they hammered the nails in his hands, they stuck the spear in his side, they put the thorn crown upon his brow, and the blood gushed from him that day. And people were hurling insults at him, and even the one thief on the cross. He took all of that upon himself, and when the blood spilled, it was exactly the same as in the old covenant, when people their hands and their blood was joined together and they said, now we're in covenant. You see, when the blood spilled upon the cross that day, God says, I'm stepping in covenant with all of humankind. The only thing that you and I needed to do was to recognize Jesus as the one who died upon the cross, then acknowledge that you and I are sinful, that we need the Savior. And when we acknowledge that we need the Savior, that blood that he shed for us covered us and we stepped into covenant with him. And he, once and for all, sacrificed himself for you and I. And that's why today, when we come together in worship, worship that God enjoys is centered in Jesus and Jesus alone. Do you understand why we believe in Jesus-centered worship here? It's because he paid the supreme price for you and I so that when time is over and time is no more, so that we then can enjoy life forevermore. But not only then, but we can enjoy eternal life here until time is no longer. That means we can live in freedom of sin, of guilt, of shame. And that's the message of the book of Psalms because it always points towards Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Why can the psalmist say, 
praised the Lord in the first verse of Psalm 150 and in verse 6 of 150, the last verse in the book of Psalms, praise the Lord, because it's the conclusion of the matter. The conclusion of the matter is that Jesus died once and for all, and that settles it. Entered into a covenant with us, and God did not swear by man. He swear by himself, because there is no one greater to swear with, he said, because he does not lie. Your future, if you've committed it through Jesus to God, is sealed for all eternity. And out of that comes a great sense of joy and relief. Amen? A personal note, people say to me, aren't you afraid of COVID? I said, I'm absolutely not afraid of COVID. Aren't you afraid of dying? I'm absolutely not afraid of dying. Are you vaccinated? I was one of the first who was double vaccinated. Not because I was fearful. Because do you know what? If you get vaccinated because you are fearful, you'll be fearful after that as well. I've seen that. My security is 100% in God. Since I live on the earth, there are limitations on earth that is placed on all of us and it is reasonable and logical for me to have done what I did. Beautiful thing is I walk into homes of people I don't know and one home I walked in and right in the beginning of COVID, a lady was so desperate with her husband and, 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 and her child. As I walked in, I met her once. She just came and she hugged me and cried over me for, for probably about two or three minutes. COVID or not, never bothered me one bit. I'm not afraid. My friends, when we understand this principle, we walk in freedom, even with the limitations that we have on this earth. Why? Because we live in a fallen world. So we do what is necessary. If I had to do it again, I would do it all over again. But I'm not afraid. I live free in God, I told you a few weeks ago that one of our congregation members in South Africa died. Wonderful, wonderful woman. Didn't get the vaccination. COVID was brought into her home and she died prematurely. You know, it, 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 it doesn't matter which way you look at it. It doesn't matter whether you're on this side or that side. My friends, let Jesus be in the center of it. Amen. When Jesus is in the center of it, we have compassion with everyone. Congregation, this I'm asking of you from the deepest point of my heart. Be soft towards others. Be strong on your conviction. No problem with that, I am. But have a soft heart for others on both sides of the fence. Amen? When you have a hard heart, You're no longer righteous, even though you did the right thing. I got this little thought a little while ago. It was so cool. You know, and I was talking to someone, and I don't know if I heard the phrase somewhere or it just came up within my mind, but I said to someone, I said, rather choose to be righteous than right. Because sometimes you can be so right, but your attitude stinks and you are unrighteous. 
soft hearts keep us righteous before God. Do you know what? We have the enormous privilege, Lift Church, to give Jesus to people. You cannot give Jesus to people if you have a hardened heart. Let us as a church be clothed with the righteousness of Jesus. Half thought towards one another. Stand on our convictions, but always there to build one another up. And it is at this point where I need to say, ask you to give a loud amen if you believe what I'm saying is right. That was great, thank you. Even when we come in here to worship, make sure that you are righteous and not just right. You can fulfill all of the laws, my friends, that you think you need to do. And of course, we always like to fulfill the the laws that we can do. But we forget about the laws that we don't like and we cross those. That's how we are, amen? It's true. You can fulfill all of the laws that you want to stand here and you feel righteous, but that's not the righteousness. The Bible says in the book of Romans, that righteousness of your own is like filthy rags where you stand before God. The righteousness that God expects is a righteousness that comes through Jesus. And that righteousness is so attractive to God when we come to worship. Have you met Jesus? Oh, now it's just the most wonderful time to meet this God who hasn't come to condemn you, but this God who has come to free you from your guilt, from your shame, from your rules that just make your heart even harder. He just cancels all of those things out and he says, come to me and he gives you a righteousness that is of his doing. And that's how we start to change and become more and more the way that God wants us to do because it's achieved through him and through him alone. So do you understand why I say now that worship that God enjoys is Jesus-centered? Hebrews chapter 13 verse 15 says, through Jesus, therefore, let us offer continually to God a sacrifice of praise. The fruit of lips that openly profess his name. That's the worship that God enjoys. Let's just look at one more. Worship that God enjoys is real and authentic and it comes from our own experience with God. Your own experience of faith in God. Let me read again. Worship that God enjoys is authentic. That means it is real. It comes from your own experience of faith in God. My friends, at Lift Church here, We have wonderful songs that we sing together. There's prayers that we pray together and they're all wonderful. I so enjoy when the band helps us to sing songs 
that we can relate to. That's why we write new songs. And a little bit later, if we look at it, you'll see that um, um, worship that God enjoys is when we sing new songs unto the Lord. But it's closely linked to point number two here, which says that worship that God enjoys is authentic. It comes from your own experience of faith in God. When we come together, what's happened during the week we bring into this context. Have you ever heard people say, oh, when you come to the doors of the church, just leave your worries outside and come in. Oh, that's the biggest load of religious nonsense. Amen? Oh, I mean, what good is it to come here when you have to leave all of your problems outside there? That's not the type of worship that God enjoys. The type of worship that God enjoys, you bring your sins inside here on a Sunday. Come, bring it. Don't have to bring it to me. Why? Because the worship that we do, please don't bring it to me. But the worship that God enjoys is, 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 is worship that, uh, that is centered in Jesus. So when it's centered in Jesus, do you know what? Jesus can handle your sin. As a matter of fact, he saw when you committed that sin. He's everything. He's everywhere at the same time. He's all powerful. You can't fool him. So when we come together here and we're so excited, we come to worship and we leave our sins outside. Oh, just leave it outside. No, this is the place to bring it. It's a place for sinners. Amen? Bring it, bring it, bring it. It's always better to deal with it before when you sin straight away, deal with it. Amen? Better. But sometimes we just can't. We just Bring it here. And then as we worship together, you bring it to the God that's already paid the highest price for that sin that you did 2,000 years ago upon the cross. God loves authentic worship. He loves authentic people. Don't leave your worries outside there. Bring them inside here. Share it with us. The Bible very clearly says we must share our burdens one with another. Come and do it. Don't just bring it to me. There's plenty of other people here too. Just share it with the church, with people that you can trust. Share it with them. You'll find people here. Greatest people that you can find is within this church. Maybe as good in other churches, but pretty good people here. Bring your worries. Bring your burdens. Bring your difficulties. This is the place to do it. That's why, you know, even if it costs you a little bit over COVID period to come together here, it is well worth it because what you get here, money can't buy. You say, well, Peter, I can do all of those at home. Well, why don't you go and try that for a while? I met a precious lady here today and her and I spoke before the service and she's from New York and uh, she said to me, Peter, I, I, I haven't been in church for a long time and, and I was listening to the service last week and I wanted to come this week and I've come, she says, and she was only here for a few, she says, it is so good to be with God's people. Oh, wonderful. It is best here. It is no good out there. This is God's plan. This is God's way. God says, come. Let us bring authentic worship to him. So worship that God enjoys is authentic and comes from our own experience of faith in God. My friends, we need to share 
our failures with each other and we need to share our victories with one another. When we share our failures with one another, we cry together, amen. When we share our victories with one another, my friends, we rejoice together. That's the church that God enjoys being a part. Psalm 149 verse one says this. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of his faithful people. Sing a new song unto the Lord. Why? Because his faithfulness and his mercies are new to us every morning. And so that testimony we bring together with God's people and we rejoice in that together. Colossians chapter three verse 16 says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the spirit, that means from the inside, outwards, singing to God with gratitudes in your heart, and whenever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Does that verse settle it? Amen, it does. Ephesians chapter five, verse 19 and 20 says, do not get drunk on wine. That's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, a command, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to God always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Worship that God enjoys, says the psalmist, is worship that is Jesus-centered. Worship that God enjoys, says the psalmist, is authentic and real and comes from your own experience of faith in God. So let's worship him together as a church.